0: All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing on in our series through the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 31 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under one of the seats near you. And if you're just here this morning, you're not a Christian or don't really know what all this is about, we're just really glad that you're here. There's a little bookshelf out in the foyer that has Bibles and other Christian resources back there. Please pick up anything that is of interest to you. It is our gift to you. We're just really glad that you are here this morning. So uh, I want to say thanks to Chris last week for uh, sharing uh, the message. And uh, just uh, we've, we've talked about this for a while. And I think Errol was the first one that put my bug in my ear about the elders preaching regularly. And, and uh, just uh, appreciate so much the leadership team that God has brought together here and uh, just their willingness to be part uh, of the ministry. So uh, this morning... Um, I want to talk about a four letter word that uh, that produces a variety of reactions. There're some authors of scripture that say they hate this four letter word. There's others probably among us that uh, that live for it. There's some that think it is a necessary evil. There's some of us that are just kind of ambivalent towards it. Um, maybe others of us think it's this is my reason for for being, um, for others, this is their source of identity, and value, and and worth. For others, it's it's just a means to an end. Any guesses about what that four-letter word is? Work. work. All right. Good job, Eric. We're going to talk about work this morning, and uh, let me ask you a question. When you think about work, what? comes into your mind? And then a second question, what motivates you to go to work if you are working right now? And then for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ in this room and have a relationship with him, how does your relationship with Jesus impact your view of work and how you go about doing Your work. Does it make any difference there? So, contrary to what we think, work is not a four letter word and how we think of four letter words. Work actually came to be before the fall happened. Work was a pre fall thing. God called Adam and Eve to work the garden and to keep it, and this is before their fall. But though work is a pre-fall kind of directive from God, work is also fallen now, right? Thorns and thistles, the sweat of our brow, and pain you bring forth and bear children, and I also think rear children, that that as we walk through life, we recognize that work can be Difficult and challenging, and full of frustrations, and you're just like pulling your hair out to just got through reading through Ecclesiastes in my Bible reading for the year, and and here is Solomon, and, he's, and he gets like, I hated work, you know, I, I'm I'm in it, and I'm realizing, man, under the sun, I'm just working, and I'm it's this endless cycle, you know, I work so that I can eat, so that I'm refreshed to go back to work, and and when I die, what happens to all this? It's all pointless, it's all meaningless, it's just. Whew, And so some of us feel like that at times about our work. And I want to read this, I think it's a pretty amazing little section of Scripture here, before we get into kind of the fall of Israel as we look at kind of the golden calf incident next, but this is just kind of a... A hiatus or break before we move into that. God has given all his instructions to Moses on the mountain of how to build the tabernacle, the clothing of the priests, and how the priests are to be anointed and prepared for ministry. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's this chapter that pops in. And so let's read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. Remember, Hur was one of the guys that held up Moses' arms when he was up on the mountain. Of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft, and behold, I have appointed with him a Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men, that's a neat word, wise-hearted men, ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat that's on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense the altar burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and its finely worked garments, holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Whew. It's like all this stuff. And it's like God had given Moses all these instructions. This is how it's all to be put together. This is the place where my presence will manifest itself among you as my people. That's why I've called you to do all this stuff. And if I'm Moses at this point in time, he's given all these instructions in my head. It's like, how in the world is all this going to be accomplished? You know, I was probably raised in the finer schools of Egypt. that may not have worked with my hands a whole lot. And then God's saying, all this stuff needs to be built, the tent, the preparations. This guy's got to know how to make wood. He's got to know how to forge metals. All this kind of stuff, and that's nothing that I know how to do, God. And then God, when he calls us to something, he provides what we need to accomplish what he's called us to. And so here he says to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Her, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge, and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, carving wood, and to work in every craft. So God, I think, just refreshing Moses here. He says, "Moses, this isn't all on your shoulders. I've given." through my spirit filling this man, tremendous abilities for him to accomplish what I've called you to be a part of as well. And to me, this lets me know that all types of work can be valuable and spiritual. There's something here that is not said of very many people in the Old Testament. It says, He called him by name and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's a really, really rare thing to be said of in the Old Testament. Pharaoh recognized that in Joseph. He says, you're filled with the Spirit of God, but it's very few people that this is said about. It's not said about Moses. It's not said about Aaron. It's not said about very many other people in Scripture, but it says this man, this craftsman, right, this man who was an artist says he is filled with the Spirit of God. This basically is the first time that this filling of the Spirit is used in Scripture. And it's of a person that we would look at. That, that's secular work, right? He's an artist. Oh, I mean need artists, you know? <laughs> We just need STEM, right? We just focus on STEM, right, Tim? That's all we need to get, you know, life is chemistry, right? No, life is more than chemistry. Life is beauty and all sorts of things. And God says, I'm filling this man with my spirit so that he can accomplish what I'm calling you to do. Many times in the church, there seems to be kind of a a ranking of those occupations that are really spiritual and, and really important. Because pastors often teach this stuff. Who's at the top usually? It's the people that are called to communicate God's word or those that are called to go out in the mission field and work in that way. And those are wonderful callings. But I think this is letting me know, you know what? Some people are called to work for AT&T as much as other people are called to work in ministry or to minister in Papua New Guinea are called to be an architect or an accountant or a teacher or a lawyer or even, quote, the lower tasks of life, the blue-collar work that we have recognized as we have gone through this COVID thing that, you know what, these people are really essential, sometimes more essential than those people that just make their living by using their mouth, right? I can live without hearing something for a while, but if I don't have food and my plumbing doesn't work and my electricity's not working, then life is not very pretty for me. There's a little book. It's like How the Church Fails Business People. And uh, this is what the author, a guy named John Knapp, says. Anyone who has spent much time in the church is likely aware of its hierarchy of occupations. At the peak of the pyramid are full-time clergy and missionaries followed closely by other paid workers in Christian ministry. Their jobs are seen as genuine callings, often validated by special ceremonies and rituals. Just below them in rank are the so-called helping professions, social workers, nurses, doctors, and the like, whose work aligns neatly with the church's ministry priorities. Moving further down the pyramid, we find the vast majority of Christians, Salespeople, postal workers, accountants, pilots, business owners, electricians, corporate executives, lawyers, and countless others who comprise most of the body of Christ. Seldom are their jobs described as callings or celebrated by the church. I think there's a lot of truth in that that the church, I think, often has failed the vast majority of people that are sitting out there as you all do not recognize that there's a spiritual dimension to your work even if you're working in a secular, quote, arena. There is, for believers to me, not a dichotomy between what is sacred and what is secular. If God has called you into relationship with Him, He has called you to be spiritual wherever you are. And we see here that even a calling to be an excellent craftsman and artist is a calling that is given by God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, it says, Make it your ambition to make a lot of money. No, it's not what it says. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to work with your hands, so that basically you can provide for yourself and your needs, and you can win the respect of those that are outside of the church. Folks, there are certain people that as soon as they get to that moment in the conversation, that always comes up, So, Brett, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And then they get this, Oh, this dude is weird. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. You know, he's a scammer. He's going to be asking me for money soon. All this kind of stuff. You know, but you say, Oh, I'm a pilot or I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah, the conversation goes on in a normal way. And in 1 Thessalonians 4:11 said, make it your ambition to work with your hands, to do things with your hands that are valuable and contribute to society. Many of you know the story of William Wilberforce, right? The Englishman that was responsible for the abolition of the slave trade in England. And when Wilberforce Came to Christ and just really was on fire. I want to follow Jesus. And he's thinking, okay, I need to become a priest or a pastor to do this, right? And John Newton, the amazing Grace John Newton, the former slave trader captain, he was the one that told Wilberforce, you know what? I don't think God wants you to be a pastor. I think God wants you to stay in politics and he wants you to use, wants to use you in that sphere. And Wilberforce listened, and it took him about 50 years before he got that slave trade abolished, but he recognized it, you know what? And Newton recognized it's a calling to serve in that sphere as much as it's a calling to serve in the sphere of being a pastor. And he validated that in Wilberforce, and he said, you need to stay where you are to work for the kingdom of God in that field. Many of us, you know, chariots of fire, when I, feel, when, when I run, I feel God's pleasure, right? It's like, okay, you know, that's he's using that. like, no, 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 you need to go right to the mission field. No, this is what God has called me to do right now. And he did end up on the mission field, but I don't think he viewed, oh, this part of my life I was following God, and this was a real calling, and the other part, nah, it's not so much. So God has given, basically, an opportunity to share the gospel with so many people because Eric Liddell was a runner as well as a follower of Jesus Christ and a missionary. John the Baptist, when he was ministering, he's calling people to repentance. And, you know, he's, people are coming and, they're, they're, and there are a lot of kind of the, the non-desirables that are coming or people that culture doesn't like and the tax collectors are like, what do we do now, John? And John did not say, hey, you need to stop being a tax collector. That is just a terrible vocation, and just need, what did he say? Just collect what you are mandated to collect. Don't fleece your people for your own benefit. And then the soldiers were coming, and they're kind of police slash soldiers, and he said, what are we supposed to do? And he says to them, basically, work with integrity. Don't shake down people. Don't put people in a situation where you're asking for money or say, we're going to drag you away unless you give us a little bit under the table and we'll keep your business going, but hey, we want a little bit on the side. So do your work with integrity, and then he says, be content with your pay. Don't be looking for more than God has given you at this point in time. So God has called Bezalel, and I think, you know, baby Bezalel didn't you know, come up and, you know, instantly he's, you know, in first grade, he's making these incredible things, he's melting down bronze, he's, you know, it's like, no, there's there probably years of developing his talent, and he may have been an amazingly gifted person from the start, and he's gifted by the Holy Spirit, obviously, but God's using his gifts that he's applied throughout the years, and then filling him with his spirit for this task of completing the tabernacle, the instructions that have been given. And as you read through those instructions, there's some detail in there, but there's a lot of detail that's not there, right? And so he's supposed to come up with artistic designs. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to you know, weave this fabric for the high priest, and I know these are the fabrics that are to be there, but we're not told, "Oh, well, this is exactly the design that you're to use. How big should the cherubim be on the, you know, what should they exactly look like? What should be the edge of the altar of incense look like? And all, all those kind of things. So God says, I have gifted this man to use his artistic skill and design knowledge and ability to work with all these things. And I brought other people like Aholiab and other people that are wise in these crafts to come alongside and to work together. These are essential workers in my kingdom. And later on in Exodus, we're told that there's women that are spinning and gathering all these materials together. So everybody in this process is significant and important. And it's like, well, I'm not Moses. I don't proclaim the word of God, so I guess I don't have a role to play. And God says, no, 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 no. This is important, so important that I'm filling this man with my spirit to accomplish his purposes in Bezalel. So let me assure you this morning that your work, no matter whether it's sacred or secular, it matters to God. And whether it's highly esteemed or when it's, whether it's not esteemed that much at all by society, it is important. And again, I think we're learning, and Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12-14, to that the, the gifts of the Spirit given to the body, those that are kind of less noticeable, he says, actually those are the more important ones. Those are the ones that keep things functioning. Those are the ones that may not be as evident but take them away and the body will cease to function. The body can work without talking for a while but lose your kidneys or lose your liver or some of these behind the scenes working all the time and you're not gonna be a healthy body. So if you're here this morning and you have bought into what I say is the lie that there's some spiritual occupations and that there's some secular occupations, I wanna say no. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to live out your calling whatever sphere God has called you into. And all of those spheres can be places where you can make a difference for the sake of his kingdom. Secondly, I think we need to rethink and revive our idea of what calling is, the old word vocation. And in our culture, vocation means the same thing as like occupation or career, but it didn't used to. Vocation is from the Latin word, vocare, my wife told me, and uh, it means to be called, right? And the idea is here we have God calling Bezalel by name. I'm calling you, Bezalel, to myself, and to this task. And I think as we look at this whole idea of calling, theologians have broken it down basically into a, a primary or first calling, and, and all of us are called into relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is our primary calling. That is something that we're to live out 24-7, 1 Corinthians 10-31. Whatever you do, what? do all to the glory of God. Whether you're working or recreating or fellowshipping or eating, whatever you're doing, he says, do that for God's glory. Studs Terkel wrote a book called Work a Long Time Ago, but in it, a woman said this, jobs aren't big enough for people. And I like that, and what she was saying in that book was basically, if you're living for your job, your job is never enough to satisfy who you are as a human being. To me, I need to understand that I'm called to relationship with God, that He has reached out through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, taking my sins upon himself, and he says, I want you in relationship with me now. Regardless of what your past is, I want this relationship with you. I will forgive, I will cleanse, I will bring you into my family, I will adopt you, I will make you secure in my love forever and ever. That's what I want, but you need to trust me. And when we do that, when we respond to that call of Christ into relationship, then we become his child. And that is what makes us valuable. That is what makes us significant. That is what makes us worthwhile. Tim Keller, in a little book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, uh, that's very good if you want to dig a little bit more into this whole concept of work, talks about the work under the work that we do. And what he means by that is, is we get a job, right? But then there's a job that we're doing under our job. Through this job, we may be trying to construct an identity, I'm not feeling that valuable, so I'm gonna get this job and I'm gonna work really hard at this job so then I become someone of worth and value and significance and importance. And when we put that kind of weight on a job, it's never gonna provide us with those feelings of satisfaction and worth and value. It's just the reality. A friend of mine in high school, his dad had worked for like 29 years for a company, given his heart and soul to that company. And then right before he was going to retire, the company was sold to another company. And the new company said, sayonara, I know you wanted a retirement, but you're not getting it. And we recognized, you know, it's like, okay, this is what I was looking to to provide my security and significance and value and hope and now all of that is gone. Jobs aren't big enough for people. So our first calling is to relationship with God. A job is not going to establish my worth. We look at that for that. Remember the Tower of Babel? We're building this. Why? Why did they build it? To make a name for ourselves. I want to make a name for me by what I'm doing. I want to be known. I want to be significant. I want to be recognized. And we live in a day and age where there's that huge longing for that. social media is out there. It's like, yeah, am I significant? How many likes do I have? How many thumbs up do I have? Someone said, we live in a day and age where people are famous for being famous. You don't have to do necessarily anything. You're just famous because you're out there a lot and famous. Like, what is this person really? I don't know. They're just everywhere. (laughs) Don't know why, but they are. So our first calling is... A relationship with God that's what provides the foundation of our lives but we do have a secondary calling and that's a calling to work or vocation and I think we need to recover more of the original meaning of that at least in our thinking so how do people in our culture typically choose a job or a career what factors go into that choice if they have the option of choosing many people don't in the world oftentimes it's money right what's the paycheck going to be its the level of status or significance that that job is viewed within culture right it's maybe what are the benefits for me you know where's the location and usually the focus when we're looking for a job in our culture it, it's all about me what what is this job going to do for me right cuz the world needs to be revolving around Me, right? Because that's the culture we live in. The self is the center of everybody's universe. Yet if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I think how we look at vocation should be radically different than how our culture looks at it. Not primarily to focus on my benefits, but to recognize God has given us all gifts and talents and abilities, it's a gift of God, we see that here. He's given Bezalel all this kind of stuff. And he's given it to people to enable them to love him by loving other people. How can my skills, abilities, and gifts best benefit people around me? How can I be used to further the kingdom of God? Not primarily, what's the bottom line here? What's my paycheck gonna be? Again, God has designed us all uniquely. He's called Bezalel by name. I know you, I know your character. I know the gifts that I've given you and I'm appointing you for this task and Bezalel doesn't say, wow, I'm really great at this. I'm gonna set up a shop side of town. I can make great jewelry, great furniture. You know, I'm just gonna be rolling in the dough. But God has called him to a task. And when we begin to think about our work as partnering with God and his care for creation and for other people, it takes on a greater significance. It's not just a job, right? It's not just a paycheck. Walker Percy, the novelist, said you can get all A's and still flunk at life. You can get a six or seven figure salary and still flunk at work if that is not what God has called you to do. So let me ask you some questions just to ponder so we don't flunk at our work. First question, am I working as if Jesus is my immediate boss and the Holy Spirit is my coworker? In Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6, Paul talks even to slaves at that day. And slavery in that time was different than slavery in this country. It was not racially based. It was more economically based. It wasn't usually for life. But it was a slave that Paul was saying, basically, you work for your master as if Jesus was your master. And it's like, wow, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? And I think... Also, as we're doing this, we need to remember that we're, we're not alone in it. He just didn't say, Bezalel, you got all these natural gifts, go at it. He filled him with his spirit to accomplish his purposes in his workplace. And so I think regularly as we're working, we need to be saying, God, give me your spirit, fill me with your spirit to deal with this difficult client that I'd rather just, you know, yell at right now than be gracious and kind to, Right? Or fill me with your spirit to give wisdom and how do I solve this really complex technical question that I can't figure out. And not to think, well, God only works in spiritual areas. He's not going to give wisdom for practical things. Well, the, the word skill in here is often wisdom in other places that God can give wisdom even in those things, Right. We've been struggling with internet and getting our stream to sound good for a year, probably. We finally had a guy that come in and knew what he was doing. He says, oh, this is unbalanced, needs to go to this balance and this put together. And it's like, thank you, Jesus, that this man knows what he is doing. And it's like, I don't know what's wrong, maybe try this. And we try that and it doesn't, and it's like, oh yeah, that. And, and it actually results in things being done. And the neat thing is he was a follower of Jesus Christ. So am I working as if Jesus was my boss? There's a story about Michelangelo working on a kind of small little corner of the Sistine Chapel. And it was back-breaking work. He was on his back And, you know, uh, someone came in and said, what, what are you spending all this time working on this corner? Nobody's ever going to even look there. And he says, he sees it. And so... And I don't know where you are on the spectrum, some of us are driven to workaholism, some of us would rather stay home and watch Netflix uh, all the time, but God is your boss. And you're not alone in this. I think we need to remember that when we go to work, whether our work is super challenging and exciting or whether it's just routine and tedious and not so exciting, that I bring Jesus with me into this workplace by the Holy Spirit and I need my attitude towards this person to be the same as my attitude would be if Jesus was the one that was asking me to do this task. So that's the first question. Second, am I working more for God's glory than for my own? Again, that's Keller's concept of the work under the work. Why am I doing what I'm doing for? What is the reason that I'm doing this? Is it to make a name for myself? To make sure that I drive really nice cars and have a really nice house, and everybody around me goes, wow, look at that person there. A success, she's made it. She's at the top of her corporate ladder. And again, if God has given you that position, that's a wonderful thing, you should not reject that, all other things being equal, but why are you doing what you're doing? Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end of all of his compositions wrote S, capital D, G. Soli Deo Gloria, for God's glory alone. What he did, and yes, he used all of his skills and abilities, but he was doing it for the glory of God. And this is hard, right? Because sometimes it's like, well, I'm a mixed bag of motives, right? And I think we all are, and God recognizes that. In Colossians 3, you know, it says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And that's what the church sometimes used to see. See, the only really important professions are those where people are constantly thinking about heaven and not at all involved in the affairs of the earth. But that word for set your mind means put your ultimate affection on the things above that's where you're focused this is what i'm doing this for but the reality is that we're called to live and work in this world as well in philippians three it talks about what think about these things whatever's noble good pure all those kind of things so it obviously doesn't mean only thing i can think about are spiritual quote spiritual things First broadening our perspective on what is spiritual. Spiritual is all of God's creation, right? He's created it all, right? As C.S. Lewis says, God's not against matter, he invented it. So anything to deal with kind of the the matter and the things of life, whoa is <laughs> not, you know, God's not anti-matter. Okay, a little us? soundtrack to the back here. We're still working on our audiovisual <laughs> stuff, <laughs> but we're working on it, right? Yet there's this calling in our lives to engage and invest in those things that are right in front of us. There's a little book I'm reading right now. It's one of the best books I've read recently. It's called The Things of Earth and the Sub- kind of title is Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts by a guy named Joe Rigby, or Rigney. And this is what he says, A mind that is set on the things above spends an awful lot of time thinking about the things on the earth. Family, neighbors, church, job, earthly responsibilities. The person governed by heavenly things intentionally and deliberately considers and engages them. The heavenly mindset is profoundly earthly, but it is fundamentally oriented by the glory of Christ. So then in Colossians 3 and 4, Paul is teaching us that we must not orient our lives by earthly things. This is idolatry and produces all manner of sinfulness. Instead, we must orient our lives by the things above, by Christ, by the hope of glory. But once we've oriented our lives by Christ, then we spend considerable time and attention on living in the world and engaging with the things of Earth. We set our mind on things above and then we live integrated earthly lives. We aim to love God supremely and fully and then we love our neighbors as ourselves, as an expression of our highest love. As a result, our lives are suffused with gratitude, with music, with truth, And all of it is governed by affections that are set on Christ who is seated at God's right hand above. I really like that because I think we struggle sometimes. It's like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about chemical equations for three hours and I don't even think I've had a spiritual thought about it. It's like, no, be fully engaged where you are. But then when you come out of that, recognize it's for your glory, God. Help me to do good chemistry for your glory or to fly airplanes well and safely for your glory, Lord. So why are you doing your work? For your glory or for God's? And third, am I working to bless and benefit others? The Israelites, remember their kind of sad story in Deuteronomy? God says, you know, this is what's going to happen when you... Turn away, you're going to end up in exile, and ultimately the Old Testament is just kind of going, okay, you're destined for this. They end up in Babylon, right? And this is what Jeremiah, writing from Jerusalem back to Babylon, tells those that are in exile there to do. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. It's like, huh? These are Babylonians. I don't want to seek their welfare at all. They've captured us. They've dragged us here. I don't like these people at all. But he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. It's like, now you want me to pray for these people in this city in addition to having sent me here in exile? And he says, in that you will find your welfare as well. So God is calling his people to work for the welfare of the city. Christians and non-Christians alike. We are called in our work to be a blessing and to serve other people through what we are doing, right? And not all jobs are equal, right? Bezalel here, he seems to be the top dog, right? And he's got a holy ab, and then there's a bunch of wise people with gifts and talents under them. So we can get really, oh, I want to be Bezalel. Man, this word working crushes. Ever met with Aaron and Julie Nelson? Aaron's a Tremendous woodwork, and I just go to this, like, I could never make something like that. My stuff is hack compared to that, but he's got real gifts. And it's like, I want that. And he's like, No, God has given those gifts to him for the glory of his kingdom and his work among his people. And so, not to be jealous about that. Statistically speaking, most of us are average. <laughs> That's just how it is, right? <laughs> That's, that's we're in the middle of that, you know, big bell curve, you know, and that's where we are. Not all of us are called to amazing things. i are like, well, I'm just called, you know, I just, my job's I flip burgers, or I cut lawns, or, you know, it's just. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, one of the first ones there, he said this, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. In First Corinthians 7, I think it's verse 17, it says, remain in the, the place you are when you were called. And I don't think that's, you've got to stay there forever, but the idea is we're so often looking, well, I've got to be somewhere else to be who God really wants me to be and to flourish, and, and God says, no, you maybe need to think more about not what you're doing, but who you are, where you're doing what you're doing. Are you following me? Are you living for me in what you're doing right now? Mother Teresa said a similar thing I don't do big things, I do small things with big love. And again, you know, most of us are not called to be superstars, but we can all faithfully serve God and serve other people in the callings that He has given us. And something to remember. Remember your paycheck, it isn't your real paycheck. In Ephesians 6:8, talking to slaves, he says, the Lord will reward everyone for the good they have done. In Colossians 3:24, similar, the Lord will reward your good work with an inheritance, both talking in the context to those that were slaves in that culture. He says, you're not getting paid at all, but you know what? There is an employer that's looking at your work, and he will reward you. So even if your task is not financially well remunerated here in this world, God notices. And I think God's economy is very different than ours. The first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And some people that are faithful doing what we would consider menial work, I think, are going to be living in the nicest digs when they get to heaven. And we're going to be, you know what? They totally deserve that. So... Are you using your work to bless and serve other people, or is it all about me? Another question, are you pursuing excellence in your work? Again, I think this this takes time. In 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul says to Timothy, in context of being a good pastor, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all will see your progress. It's like, okay, Timothy, you you got a ways to go. (laughs) You know, somebody said, you know, church just got a new pastor. I said, man, the seminary, you just sent us like a do-it-yourself pastor kit, you know. It's like, we gotta put this person together before it's even gonna work at all. So that idea is like, yeah, we're all in process, right? None of us are there, but am I seeking to do what I do with excellence? Am I working forward and seeking how can I improve in this Lord? Help me. Not just, ah, whatever, it'll pass. When I was building my house, you know when the guys I was building with say the kind of joke in construction trades when they're doing work because I I can't see it from my house. Just throw it up. We'll put some, you know, sheetrock in front of it and then nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to know for five years Till then when the plumbing bursts and then it's going to be a catastrophe. But hey, we'll be long gone. It's like, no. Do your plumbing with excellence because it does matter. Obviously, plumbing problems have occurred. I feel your pain, and I was my own plumber. <laughs> so pursue excellence. G.K. Chesterton said this, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And I love that. What is he saying? If it's an important thing, keep at it. Nobody starts perfect, right? It takes practice. I don't know if Bezalel started out. Obviously, he's got natural gifts, but I'm sure he's working at it. When Paul's up here playing guitar and just shredding, it's like, oh yeah, I'd love to be able to do that, but I'm not just going to be able to do that. There's probably thousands of hours that he's put in practicing and practicing and practicing, right? So pursue excellence with your work. Dorothy Sayers has an essay that I read. It's it's an older, right around the World War II. But why work? And in uh, it, you know, she basically says the church's advice to carpenters kind of often is, okay, you know, make sure you come to church on Sunday and don't get drunk during the week. And she said what the church should be saying to that carpenter is make sure you make excellent tables. Serve the Lord by serving your work and doing excellent work. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should be known as the best employees. But sadly that's not often the case. There's a school that I knew in, in Canada that stopped using Christian contractors because it was a Christian school But they said they, they'd come in and they'd, they'd be late and it's always like, yeah, I'm a brother so just chill out, you know, don't worry about it. And he said, no. That's not what should characterize us as believers. We should be there, we should be doing our best to serve God and to serve other people. And are you resting in God's control over your vocation? I think some of us stress out about finding the perfect job for me. You recognize throughout history, most people didn't have much of a choice in what they were going to do. You're growing up in the 1200s. Your dad's a farmer. Guess what you're going to be? A farmer. Your dad's a blacksmith. Guess what you're going to be? Probably a blacksmith, right? There wasn't a lot of mobility one way or another. It's like, oh, I really need to find a job that fulfills me. It's like... Put the coal in the fire and make that horseshoe. And <laughs> we need to eat tonight, boy. <laughs> so I think sometimes we get, a, oh, and I think that's part of, oh, my life is my work. No, your life is not your work. God can use you in your work, but that is not your life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, your life is found in relationship with Him. And we can rest. In our first calling to Christ, we're significant and valuable there, and understand his sovereign work in our lives and directing us to where he wants us to be. Ephesians 2:10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance for us to do or walk in, right? That he's got the plan for us, and I need to rest sometimes in that. Soren Kierkegaard said, Life is lived forward but best understood backwards. What is he saying? Sometimes we don't have a clue where God is taking us, right? I started out, I'm going to be a doctor. That's like an older brother. That's my path, and his blood and I don't get along. Okay, I'm going to be a financial magnet and make tons of money, and it's like, God gets a hold of me. It's like, I want you to be a pastor. It's like, no, 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 I don't really want to be a pastor. Sorry about that. God says, that's what I'm calling you to. It's like, no, I don't like pastors. I'm not that thrilled with church. I just, no. It's best understood backwards. And now I can see his faithfulness along the way getting me where I needed to be. And at the time, I just scratched my head like, what in the world is going on in my life? And the way may be a little bit circuitous, but I think if we can trust in God's sovereign design for our lives, he's gonna get us to where we need to be as long as we're willing to go there. And sometimes I throw up my hands like, God, I'm clueless. I'm dumb as a rock, so you gotta point me the direction you want me to go. This is the thing I think I need to do, but I'm totally up to your veto. Help me to walk with you then finally, am I resting regularly and being refreshed? He ends this chapter with a discussion of the Sabbath. And we're late. I'm not going to dig into it too much. But to me, the Sabbath takes precedence over all of this work. He says, you obey the Sabbath. And he makes it pretty stringent. He says, if you don't obey the Sabbath, it's a death penalty for that offense. You're like, really? Just we're doing a little work on this? Saturday? Like, yeah, why? Because in this, you'll know that I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. You'll know that your life is bigger than what you do. Because we live in a world where our value and worth is what we do, right? You meet someone, what do you do? Well, I'm a brain surgeon at Johns Hopkins. It's like, whoa, you must be super important. What do you do? Wow, well, I'm a landscaper. Oh, okay. Moving on to the next person, what do you do? Our value and worth is not in what we do, it's in who we know and who knows us. I am not my job. And we need to remember that. I wanna be all yours at my job, God. I wanna be a blessing to other people in how I work and how I treat other people at my workplace. If I'm an employer, I want to treat people fairly, I want to compensate them well, I don't want it all for me. If I'm an employee, I want to do work well, I don't want to cut corners, the boss is not here, I'm not kicking my feet up, and just, but we are not our jobs, but our jobs are important. So, a couple good books, Every Good Endeavor, Oz Guinness has a book called The Call. Both are good if you're wrestling with this whole concept of work and especially work in a secular environment. But let me tell the vast majority of you out there that your work is important and it matters to God. And there are challenges, there's difficulty there. I know Chris has a group of Christian financial planners that he gets together with to deal with some of the unique challenges in his industry. And it's gonna be tough, there's gonna be tough questions, right? How do I deal with this? Remember when Naaman the Syrian he understands he's healed, you know, and he's going back, and he's going to serve the king again, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I know the king is going to ask me to go into the temple, and I'm going to have to, you know, kneel with him as he bows down to Rimen. Eh, can I do that? And what is, well, I should say, he says, go in peace. God understands some of the difficulties sometimes of, of living there. And there's certain, obviously, occupations that a Christian can't do, and we've got to wrestle through those kind of things. You can't be a Christian pornographer, but can you work for a company like Time Warner that supports cable networks that put pornography out there? We're going to come a different conclusion we got to wrestle with that stuff and it's not easy it's complex right and so to speak with other people that are in your industry that are believers that how have you worked through these things how can we honor God in this place that we are and also to give grace to people we're not all going to come to the same conclusions about those kind of decisions but we have to wrestle through those kind of things it's not easy to be out in the workplace. I wasn't in there long, I worked for a couple of years doing commercial real estate lending, but I know there's some pressures there, right? And I think they're probably even greater now than when I worked there back when dinosaurs were roaming <laughs> the earth. But the reality is that it's tough sometimes out there that there's frustrations, that's sweat of our brow, there's thorns and thistles, there's difficult ethical situations that you're going to come across, and we need the support of our brothers and sisters who are in that workplace, but to recognize you go into that workplace with Jesus as your number one boss. He's who you're responsible to, and with the Holy Spirit as the one that's working alongside you to say, God, give wisdom, guidance, and help in the midst of this world that I'm living in and working in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your call. First and foremost, to relationship with you. Thank you that we are secure in you. That we are valued and loved by you and delighted in by you. Lord, sometimes that's hard for us when we look at ourselves to understand. But that's what your word says is true. So forgive us when we've sought worth and value and significance in what we do, not in who we are in you. But Lord, help us to see the importance of the work that you've called us to. And if there are people here that are wrestling with where that may be, just give guidance and direction, but also an ability to rest in your control of their lives. For those here that are in tough workplaces and there's difficult challenges and ethical decisions that uh, that are really hard, Lord, give your wisdom and your grace to those. Lord, just thank you that uh, that you're in it with us that you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us that uh, you've called us to be a blessing to other people help us to move out from that selfish preoccupation that everything needs to revolve around me and be about me including my job and help us to think through how we can best use the gifts and abilities and talents that are a gracious gift of you in our lives to benefit others and to bless them. Lord, you're good. Help us, forgive us when we've fallen short. Thanks for your grace. Help us to walk with you, with our friends, and in our workplaces, even this week. And it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name I pray. Amen. (laughs)